You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 450 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Adam Palazzi has been a professional musician, business owner, and software developer. After building and selling one of the largest primary music education businesses in Australia, he began software consulting and has worked with businesses of all sizes. He's been CTO at a venture-backed startup, but his real passion is small indie SaaS businesses, both building them and helping other founders launch and grow. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Adam. Thanks, Brittany. It's great to be here. It is wonderful to have you. I said this to Roman Turner a couple episodes ago, but there are a couple episodes that are going to be friend episodes. And Adam, I feel like we have been quick friends and I'm just really excited to have you on the show. Yeah, totally. It was so much fun getting to meet you at Rails SaaS. Only a few weeks ago, I think, but yeah, it was a blast. Really looking forward to getting to chat some more. Absolutely. Well, Adam, what is your developer origin story? I used to think I had a really weird developer origin story that if I told people, they'd look at me funny and maybe not take me seriously. Since actually doing this for a while now and talking to other real developers, what I've started to find is that it's actually pretty normal. I had a another career that was in something completely different and somehow stumbled into development and realized that that was a thing that I really loved to do and wanted to make that my full-time career. So yeah, it sort of went from me being embarrassed about the fact that I used to do really different work and now I consider myself a real developer, but it's taken me a long time to get here. So I guess in terms of like where I started, I used to run a music school. I used to be a professional guitarist and music teacher and I ran a music school for a long time. So I started music school that ran music lessons in primary schools. So we used to have teachers that went into primary schools all around Victoria. So I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and we had a large number of primary schools that we worked with and we'd have teachers go in and run music lessons in there at the primary schools. When I first started doing it, there just wasn't any software to run a business like that. And so at the start, we were just emailing spreadsheets around of what teacher was going where and who was teaching what students. And it very quickly became unworkable. So I started kind of looking for some software to do that. And so like I said, there just wasn't anything. This was probably 15 years ago that I was starting this business and we were starting to get some of those sort of growing pains of just the emailing Excel spreadsheets around no longer works anymore. So I spoke to a development company. I had this idea for the way that I wanted our platform to run. I talked to a development company and pitched them my idea that this is what I want to build. I needed to run my business. And they went, yep, that sounds perfectly doable. It'll be about $300,000 and we can get started next week. And oh, jeez. Yeah. I was running this little music school with, you know, I think we had maybe 10 teachers at the time and was telling, okay, well, that's not even close to in the ballpark of what I can afford. So how about I'll just try and piece something together for now. I'd always been interested in technology and stuff. So I'll just Googling and see how far I get. And then once we've grown and we're big enough, then I'll come back and I'll hire the real firm and we'll do it properly. That was the plan. And what ended up happening over the next kind of 10 years was I got further and further down this rabbit hole of building the software for the business. And the business was growing at the same time, but eventually it just reached a point where I realized that for months and months, like I'd been spending most of my time on writing software for the business and really loving it, like decided that was the thing that I'd love to do. So I'd spent a lot of time building the software that was only ever going to be used by my one little music school, which sort of seemed like a bit of a waste. It was unnecessary to spend that amount of time on it. Like we didn't need software at the level of what I was building. So 
I decided that maybe I should sell the music school and try and actually build the software and make that the business. So I started the process of selling the music school and sold it and then wanted to get into software development full time. So initially the plan was build out this app that I've been working on for a really long time, but change it from just being designed for my one music school and turn it into a SaaS that I could then sell to lots of other music schools. And what I discovered really quickly was I was in even more of a niche industry than I'd realized. I knew I was in a niche business running music lessons and running music lessons in primary schools is the niche within the niche. The target market for my SaaS app that I was working on was tiny. I think just within Australia, when I was doing my research, there might've been a dozen other music schools who could potentially have used what I was building. And I remember doing the numbers and going, gee, even if I got like 100% adoption of this software, it's still probably not going to turn into a great business. So I think I need to look at other options. So then I started consulting and working for a few other companies as I was doing that. And that's been my path. I've been consulting and tinkering with other little businesses and projects on the side, trying to figure out what the next big thing is going to be. Wow. Okay. Well, that is an incredible origin story. This is the Ruby on Rails podcast. So I have to ask, Adam, has it always been Ruby on Rails for you? No, it hasn't. So when I first started that little app that I was building for my music school, I did, I'd never heard of Ruby on Rails before. I was using this thing called FileMaker, which is basically like a small application development framework for semi-technical people. So it comes with a whole bunch of UIs and things built into it. And it's basically like a very fancy database. So I started out with that and then I discovered it had a PHP API that you could use. So I started building some web views for it and using the PHP API to like pull data down. And I got a really long way down this path, basically like building my own framework because I didn't realize that a framework was a thing and I didn't really know what I was doing. So I was literally like hand rolling my own authentication and authorization and all of this stuff. And I ended up with this because it was all PHP with this incredible, just spaghetti mess of code. And it worked, but it was like one of those very fragile things. There were no tests. Yeah, I didn't know what an automated test was at that point. So it worked, but it was super fragile, but it was this incredible learning experience of literally like, okay, well, I need a login for this new website that I'm building. Let me just go and Google how you would do that and try and figure out this whole process. So I learned a ton from it, but because it was all written in PHP, I feel like I'm now scarred from that experience. And every anytime when I see any PHP code, I just shudder and go, I can't possibly even consider getting back into doing something like that. So after going through that whole process, when I discovered that, hey, there's these things called frameworks that are, make all this stuff a whole lot easier, I went and did all, research into all the different ones and came across Ruby on Rails. And after looking at all the different communities and stuff, this was probably six or seven years ago that I was doing this. And I, I remember spending a lot of time thinking about like the communities that are around these frameworks. And that was a really big thing that drew me to Ruby on Rails. But I was looking at like the ecosystem and going, hey, there's gems for just about everything. And there's all these really great people. Like one of the first people I ever reached out to was Andrew Culver, who makes Bullet Train. And I remember I literally just sort of cold tweeted him about something. And he wrote back and we had this really great chat and he gave me all this incredible advice. And I was like, wow, there's all these people out there who just want to help and are willing to offer advice. And I'd been working in a bubble up to then because my background was music. Everyone that I knew was a musician. I didn't know anyone who was writing software and developing for a living. So I thought I just had to Google and figure stuff out for myself. 
And suddenly I was surrounded by all these people who would just help and they were friendly and lovely. And I was like, wow, I, I want to be a part of this. So that was when I went, okay, I think Ruby on Rails is this thing that I want to take seriously. I need to go and study it. I just did every online course I could find on it. And then I haven't looked back since. Now that's the thing that I love writing Ruby code and I want to do that every day if I can. Oh, that's amazing. I think you would totally agree with me with this, but if Ruby on Rails had a welcoming committee, Andrew Culver would definitely be part of it for sure. (laughs) (laughs) He'd be holding a welcome sign. He absolutely would. I mean, he believes in the ecosystem so much and it's absolutely wonderful that that's one of the reasons that you crossed over. So I'm so curious, you decided that you were going to commit to learning Ruby on Rails. Like how much time did it take you to feel confident in it before you could turn around and feel you could salt in it? Probably not that long because I think I had spent a long time, like literally probably close to 10 years of tinkering and experimenting and building out something that was actually a production application that was being used by my business. I mean, it was literally one SaaS customer effectively, but we had 40 music teachers running it. And there were a couple of thousand music students whose parents used to log in and track lessons and things through there. So it got enough traffic that I had that experience of if you break things, the phone will start ringing and people are going to complain. So it was a really great kind of learning experience, but also in an easy enough environment where if I did mess things up, I was the business owner. So it was only going to come back to me anyway. So I was allowed to make mistakes and learn from them and then get better along the way. So I think by the time I decided to take Ruby on Rails seriously. Did a whole bunch of courses. I did start working with Andrew a bit. Andrew was just an incredible influence on me when I was first getting into Ruby on Rails and professional development. And he was the one who helped me to get my first couple of consulting gigs as well. And I do remember that first time though, the first time that someone was paying me to write code for them and the pressure of like, okay, well, this is real now. We've really got to get this right. And I worked so many more hours than what I built for at the start because I just wanted to make sure that it was as good as I could possibly make it. I think realistically for me, it was probably about six months before I felt really comfortable with that. Once I'd done that a few times and also seen code that other quote unquote like real developers had written, it made me realize that, okay, I'm I'm in the ballpark with what I'm doing. I'm not like a million miles away. I think up to that point, again, because I'd been living in my little bubble, you always hold like real developers up on this pedestal of like, there must be something magic that they know that the rest of us don't. And then once you actually get into it, you realize that no, everyone has to Google things from time to time to figure out what that method is they've forgotten or whatever it might be. So that was a really nice introduction to that, I think. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Did you know that Honey Badger status pages now come with incident management? As an engineering manager on a team who recently implemented an incident management process, I was super excited to hear this. Build confidence with a public status page that shows your live service status and incident history. The ability to bring your own domain is key here. Transparency inspires trust. When your next outage happens, communication is going to be key. Alert your users of issues early and keep them updated as each incident unfolds with incident management. Plus, if you have scheduled maintenance, you can keep your users informed as your team works through the window. Head on over to honeybadger.io to learn more. Well, I want to get into what you're currently working on now. Now, when I interview engineers, I typically ask them, hey, what track do you think you're on? Do you think you want to be an individual contributor, a manager or a founder? And Adam, what is so cool about you is you are this perpetual founder. No matter how technical you get, you continue to found things. And so you're actually working on something that I am super interested in. So can you tell me all about Sleep HQ? 
So yeah, Sleep HQ is my latest venture that I'm embarking on. My best mate in the world is a sleep scientist. And he and I were chatting about a year ago now. And he said, I've got this idea for an online platform. So a big part of his job is working with people who have sleep apnea. So that's a condition where you stop breathing whilst you're asleep and can be really dangerous. And one of the gold standard for treating sleep apnea is a thing called a CPAP machine, which is basically a mask that you wear while you're asleep that pumps air down your throat and helps it to stay open. And there's a whole bunch of settings on the machines and stuff and a lot of data that they track to make sure they're actually working effectively. So they're actually quite technical machines. But what they do is they record a ton of data. And we figured out that we could pull all of that data or most of that data off the CPAP machines and then expose it through like a really user-friendly UI that would allow people to take a bit more control of their own therapy so they could start to track how effective is their CPAP machines and can they change some settings or tweak some things to really be getting the best results possible. So we started on this idea about a year ago of building a sleep platform. And it turned out like the initial proof of concept probably took us six weeks to just get something together that worked. But then we really wanted to make sure that it was solid. So we're kind of breaking a lot of the conventional SaaS founder wisdom, like launch quickly and all that sort of stuff, because we've taken probably a year to get to the point where we've had it in kind of like an open beta for nine months now. But it's actually this week, this Friday, we're going to go live with our pro plan for the first time ever. So it's pretty exciting to finally get there because it's been a pretty long road, longer than I think either of us thought it was going to be when we first started. What is the tech stack of Sleep HQ? So it's all Ruby on Rails. That's the main application. There's a ton of background processing that we do because we're dealing with massive amounts of data. So when someone imports their data from their CPAP machine, depending on how much data they're parking across, it, it can be up to a couple of gigabytes. So we are literally storing close to 30 plus terabytes of data now across all of our users. We process a lot of that and then we pull insights out of it and create summary reports and all sorts of things. So we do a lot with Sidekick. We've got a lot of Sidekick workers that happen. One of the big changes I made recently was some of the data processing that we do is really intensive and we do a lot in short bursts. So like when someone uploads a really big chunk of data, say a, a couple of gigabytes of sleek data, we've got to go and run a ton of really intensive operations on it. And then we might not have another big upload like that for another couple of hours. What I was finding was that it was killing our psyche processes. We were like scaling up too slowly and then we were running all these servers when we didn't need them and it was costing us a lot. And so I actually moved a whole bunch of our processing across to some AWS Lambda functions and it was awesome. It increased the complexity of the tech stack significantly, but it reduced our costs massively. And especially right now because we're pre- charging for this thing. That's really important for us to keep our costs down because, yeah, we've spent a long time building this thing and we haven't actually started generating any revenue from it yet. So trying to keep our costs under control is important, but it's effectively just a big Rails app with a lot of sidekick workers and now also a couple of Lambda functions that we're running. Now, I assume you wrote those Lambda functions in Ruby? Yeah, I actually wrote them in Python. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. A part of that was the examples that I could find on the internet for how to do the particular sort of processing that we needed were in Python. So yeah, it was the easier choice at the time. You know what, Adam? I think that was the smart choice because AWS Lambda is not caught up on the latest versions of Ruby. So I think it is caught up on Python. So I think inadvertently you made a really smart choice. Yeah. And I mean, there was a little bit of thought to that too, that yeah, I think Python is the better language for doing that. 
bigger data processing sort of stuff. So it's not really something I've done a huge amount with in the past. It was just something I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure that Python seems to be the thing that everyone's encouraging for that. And it's literally just these couple of little functions. I think I can probably hack that together relatively easily. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You started Sleep HQ from Bullet Train? Yes, I did. Yeah. Can you talk to me about what it was like to start an application from like a starter template? Just because I think it's something that we don't talk about a lot. And I'm trying it for myself for the first time. And it's a whole different world. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. It is absolutely awesome. I love Bullet Train. So Bullet Train is, for anyone who doesn't know, Andrew Culver's starter kit. So like I said before, Andrew was one of the people who first introduced me to the whole Ruby on Rails ecosystem. And it was literally from me reaching out with a question about Bullet Train because I'd seen some stuff on it and wanted to know how to do something. After that, I ended up working with Andrew on Bullet Train a bit as well. So I've actually spent a fair bit of time working directly on Bullet Train itself. And a lot of the consulting gigs that I did along the way were for clients who were using Bullet Train for their applications. So I've spent a lot of time in the weeds for it. I've used it on some really big applications. We used it on some very greenfield stuff that we were starting from scratch. And a couple of the big features of Bullet Train I built so I know them inside and out. So for me, starting with Bullet Train is a no-brainer because I can just build so much faster with it. It's all of the basic SAPS features that you need, like your user model, your Teams account, log in, log out, inviting new users to your Teams, basic billing, all that sort of stuff is all just there. The stuff that we need in every SAP application that you just end up building over and over again. And I think that's the real genius of not just Bullet Train, all of those SaaS templates. They just take all of that stuff that we're all going to have to build and they give it to you for free or for the price of the SaaS template, which either for any of them, not just Bullet Train, I think the Jumpstart one is great as well. What you get for the price of those templates is invaluable. Once you've had a bit of experience with them and you know how to really leverage that stuff, they kind of become exponentially more powerful because you can build even quicker the more you know how they work. So, I mean, for me with Bullet Train, Bullet Train has this thing called super scaffolding, which is basically like Andrew's take on the rail scaffolders. Instead of just giving you like the controllers and the views, they do everything. They'll also give you all of your authentication logic. They'll give you tests, just so much stuff all built into this super scaffolding thing. And he's able to do that because he knows which authentication library you're using and which authorization and what your view layer looks like. And because all that stuff is baked into Bullet Train. So then he can kind of leverage that and it makes this whole idea of scaffolding even more powerful. I love Bullet Train. I think it's super valuable for anyone who wants to build that type of an application. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, for someone who is starting their pro plan on Friday and not having to worry about billing must be like a huge load off for you. And you're someone who, you know, has created their own framework and FileMaker, whether or not you wanted to or not. And so you can really appreciate and understand all that goes into a framework. You've done these consulting gigs. You've built the things like you've built authentication. You've built billing before. And so when you have this system that can help you get started faster, because you are very interested in these indie SaaS businesses. And even though it took you a while on CPHQ because you're doing it right and you're doing the research. There's a lot of SaaS businesses that want to launch quickly and things like this, things like Bullet Tree and Jumpstart Pro is going to enable that to happen. Yeah, totally. I mean, Sleep HQ, the reason why that's taken us so long is not because like I'm the only developer on Sleep HQ. So it's me and my friend who's the sleep scientist who's doing that side of things on the business. 
but I haven't really spent any time on, like I said, billing and authentication and stuff because all that's just baked in. So yeah, we're just leveraging all of the bullet train stuff. But where we have spent our time is on the things that are really unique and niche to Sleep HQ. So like I said, one of the things that we do in Sleep HQ is we push a lot of data. So we've got these really high resolution graphs that we display to the user. So for example, we can show you every single breath that you take over the course of the night. And so you can zoom right in on that and it's like 40 frames per second resolution. So you can literally see the exact point in time where you stop breathing and then you can correlate that to what the CPAP machine does in response, whether it's increasing the pressure or how it's trying to respond to your breathing events. And to show 40 frames per second in a graph of someone that's say like an eight hour sleep window takes a ton of data. And so I've been spending my time where we've been spending our time for Sleep HQ is on figuring out how do we make a front end that is super responsive with, say you got 10 graphs that we're going to display and they all need to be in sync and they're all going to be really high resolution, pushing a ton of data. How do we do that and display that on a web page that loads in under one second? Because that's a really kind of hard problem. It hasn't been on, gee, how do I integrate Stripe and how do I, <laughs> how do we log in <laughs> users and share data between different teams and stuff? Because that side of things is just taken care of. You're right. You're spending your time on the really hard problems. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. So I have to ask, what kind of charting libraries did you go with? Are you going with like the vanilla, I guess not really vanilla Rails views, but like, are you leaning on a framework for the front end? Yeah, totally. So we're using uh, Canvas.js for the charting library. I spent a lot of time researching the charting libraries before we started or as we were kicking off, because again, like that low rate graph that shows you every breath over the course of the night can have three to 500,000 data points on it. And a lot of the charting libraries just break down at that volume. They all say, oh, we can handle 10,000 data points. And I remember looking at them and going, well, that's great, but we need kind of 10x that at least. So the Canvas charts do handle much larger volumes of data. We've also spent a lot of time customizing it as well because we want to be able to show you eight different charts of different metrics from your last night's sleep and have them all sync up. So as you're zooming in and panning around, we're showing you all of those charts moving in sync together. So there's a lot of stuff like that that we've had to do, but a lot of the complexity was in figuring out just how we push that many data points to you without making it like a 20 megabyte JSON file that you need to download every time you go to, to look at a new page on the website. How has the process been with actually integrating with hardware? I think that's something that a lot of Rails developers listening to this show probably have never attempted to do. That was a fun one. So we one of the hardest things for our users on SleepHQ is getting their data into the platform. Like I said, it could potentially be a couple of gigabytes depending on how long they've been using their CPAP machine for. And so when we first launched the beta program, the approach was most of the CPAP machines have an SD card in there that records all the data. 
So what we would tell people to do and what we still tell people to do is take your SD card out of the CPAP machine, put it in a card reader on, in your computer and drag your files across into FleetHQ. And that works, but depends on your home internet speed. And if you try and drag, I mean, some of these CPAP machines can be tens of thousands of files. Just trying to drag that many files into a web browser can make the web browser crash. And like, there's all sorts of problems that come up from just doing that. So it's a hard process. And if our users can't do it, if they can't get their data into SleepHQ, then the platform is useless. There's literally nothing they can do. So we identified that early on as one of our biggest weak spots. That yeah, if people can't get their data in, then we've got no chance of ever upselling them into a pro plan. So we were talking about it. We went backwards and forwards and all these different ideas for what we could do to solve this problem. And what we ended up coming up with was we decided we wanted to try and build a device that could basically handle that upload process for you. Something you could plug into a CPAP machine, it would connect up to your home Wi-Fi and just automatically stream your data straight up to SleepHQ for you. And I really wanted to do it because it just seemed like something that was so different from anything I'd ever done before. And what we ended up doing was we've landed on a little Wi-Fi SD card that you can put in a CPAP machine and then a, basically a custom-built Raspberry Pi that will then sync to the Wi-Fi from the SD card, download the files up, but then switch back across to your home Wi-Fi network and push the files up to SleepHQ. We call it the magic uploader because it feels like magic when it works. So we started testing this device a while ago and we're going to start selling it for the first time ever this Friday when we launched the Pro Plan. We've had a ton of people who keep asking us about it because everyone finds this upload process, the manual upload process painful. So everyone wants one of these things. But we were sitting in my office one day, Nick, my mate and I were working on this thing. He was wearing a CPAP machine with the mask on and we had it all running and it was streaming up to his sleep HQ account. And we were watching his graphs like in real time updating on the screen. And it just felt like magic. It was like, whoa, it's just there. It works. We've done it. So uh, that was kind of the point when we were like, I think it's the magic uploader. That's what we need to call this thing. It's just there. So the idea is that you wake up in the morning and your data is just in your sleep HQ account. And it means that we can do things then like push notifications to tell you if something has gone wrong with your sleep and how you might need to pay attention to this thing going forward. We don't need to wait for the user to upload their data before we can analyze it and then help them. No, that makes complete sense. I'm someone who wears a whoop, which is a fitness band, and through my wrist is not nearly as granular as what you're doing at Sleep HQ. But, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I trigger my whoop and it takes about 10 minutes to catch up and then it analyzes all of my sleep and, you know, my suspected recovery and things like that. And having that data then is incredibly important because it colorizes the rest of my day, gives me an idea of how well rested I am, what I'm able to take on. And so we all know a terrible night of sleep or just being able to see a pattern of things that could be going wrong with a CPAP machine is just incredibly important to see that in real time. So I love, Adam, that you're calling it the magic uploader because it does actually truly sound magical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was how it felt for me when we first used it. So yeah, I think that was just sort of the obvious choice. Well, before we go to closing questions, I have to ask a selfish question. And that is, let's describe our perfect night of sleep. So Adam, I'll have you go first. Okay, for me, my perfect night of sleep would have to be, I need a good wind down. I think like a lot of people, I have this habit of staying up too late and working and then I get into bed and my brain is still running. So the nights that I had my best night of sleep was when I actually just switch off a good hour, hour and a half before I get into bed, read something 
just having a chat with the family or whatever, like just that good bit of downtime. And I think the other thing for me that I always feel better is when I just give myself enough time asleep. Like again, don't stay up late trying to get a bit more done. Like just actually spend a good, I think for me, I probably need eight and a half hours of sleep. Anytime when I do that, I'll wake up feeling amazing. And then the next night I go, but I just want to get that extra thing done or I'm just going to read one more chapter of my book. And then I only spend seven and a half hours of sleep. So time and just letting myself wind down for me are the two biggest things I've got to do. Okay. I love that. So I am definitely an early to bed, early to rise person. I am a morning person and I feel like Barbie sometimes because I have all kinds of sleep accessories, Adam. (laughs) So I got to have the blackout curtains. I have to have an eye mask. I have one of those chili pads with the cold water that runs underneath you while you're sleeping. I love that. (laughs) Do you find that you got too hot? Is that why you got that? Absolutely. And I get too hot like in the middle of the night. So I start off cold. And so I have it scheduled on my phone around like 1230. It'll turn on and it goes, I mean, listeners, this is low. I set it to 55 degrees. So it's fairly cold and it keeps me asleep. And then before I go to bed, I take this like sleep drink that has collagen in it and tryptophan and that also helps. So Adam, I wish I could be one of those people that could just sleep anywhere, sleep on a plane, sleep on a park bench. I've never been that person. So anybody who's working on sleep and puts it in the same category as self-care, it's incredibly important to me. Sleep is underrated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for us with Sleep HQ, like right now we're focusing on people who have sleep conditions. So sleep apnea is the initial one, but then also insomnia and other like sleep defects. But going forward, like I think everyone is interested in sleep, but it's a growing category that more and more people are just wanting to do. They're realizing, like you say, that it is just a part of good self-care and that it's super important for actually just getting the most out of your days. I can see us taking sleep HQ and turning it into something that everyone can benefit from because of these insights that we're drawing out of all this data. Well, you have to wonder too, how many people don't know that they have sleep apnea to begin with? I had a friend who did one of those sleep studies And he went to sleep for a couple hours and they watched him and he woke up 126 times in one hour, but he had no idea that he had sleep apnea. So like how many other people are like that out there? Yeah, totally. And there's actually some really cool new devices that are coming out that rather than because the the traditional way to diagnose it has been probably like your friend, you go into a hospital, they wire you up with a million sensors and you have to try and sleep in a hospital bed while they analyze you. And there's all these new devices that are coming out now that allow you to get probably 80 or 90% of the accuracy from home. There's a new one that you literally just clip onto your finger and it monitors your blood oxygen. If you're stopping breathing, the real issue is your blood oxygen drops. And so you can detect sleep apnea reasonably accurately from monitoring blood oxygen. So there's literally just a clip that you put on your finger, you go to bed, it syncs up to an iPhone app and it can, to some extent, detect sleep apnea. So yeah, it's getting better, that side of things. That's amazing. I could geek out about sleep all day, but I am going to move to our next question. (laughs) Now, Adam, I think you've hinted around at your answer on this one, but I have to ask, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? I think it's bright. I love Ruby on Rails and the community around it. And it feels to me like there's a bit of a resurgence going on. Hopefully Rails SaaS was the start of something that will continue and there'll be more of those conferences. But even just the other conferences that have been going all these years, it feels to me like people are getting excited again. And maybe a part of it too is just, Everyone had a bit of a break during COVID. We couldn't go anywhere and we did some online conferences, but they're not the same. There's something about 
just seeing people in person and being able to really connect. I flew over to America for the RailSense conference specifically, just so that I could actually hang out with everyone in person. And it made such a difference. Like, you know, you and me had the chance to hang out for a couple of days as we were there working together on the conference. And the real connection that you get from actually being in the same room as people is just something special. It feels to me like everyone's going, hey, we had that bit of a break, but we're back. And the idea of you know, moving back to monoliths and stuff that everyone's been talking about, like I think there's some leg behind that and I'm loving where it's going. Yeah, I think it's just going to get stronger and stronger. It's certainly my hope for it. How are the Ruby and Rails communities in Australia itself? They're good. It's different to in America. I've always found it easier to connect with the American communities. It just seems like they're more active. Mm-hmm. In Australia, we've got a couple of, especially in Melbourne, there's a couple of big Ruby and Rails companies that run out of here. And I think sometimes when you go to these conferences, if there's two or three big companies and the majority of the attendees work for those companies, then you end up with these groups who everyone sort of knows each other. And if you're an independent contractor or a consultant coming into those ones where you don't know, you don't work at the company, you don't know all the people there, it can be a little harder to get into. And I've always found the US conferences and communities kind of, maybe there's more people who do what I do. There's more of the founders and the independent consultants and contractors in those ones who I've been able to sort of connect with a little easier. And I think too, yeah, working with Bullet Train, like a lot of that audience is in the US. So that's always been a big part of the Ruby on Rails community that I've had contact with. How can listeners follow you? Why is it Twitter? That's the... I know. What a time. (laughs) It feels a little weird right now. I mean, that's still the main way. So I'm Adam Palazzi on Twitter. I do still have an account. Who knows if it'll still be there in a week's time or not, but I haven't been posting a whole lot recently. I've sort of just been hanging back a little to, I guess, see where everything's going in that world. But yeah, also on Sleep HQ and I do have a YouTube channel on that one. I've only got a couple of videos up, but I would like to do more where I talk about the technical side of building Sleep HQ. So it's sort of like a founder cross technical channel, I guess. So is what I'm doing there. I haven't got many videos up at the moment, but I would like to do more of that sort of stuff. Okay, that's perfect. Well, Adam, it has been such a joy having you on the show. Thank you for answering all of my questions. Super interested in what you're building. You are someone to watch and we're so glad that you're in this community. Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun to catch up again. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.